following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. This is from the fourth chapter of Mark. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with them. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Thank you, Eileen, for reading that text for us. And I do have some um, brief thoughts to share about Mark 4, 35 through 41. Um, But first I wanted to talk a little bit of business and share a little bit of news. It was already mentioned during the prayer time. Uh, But I want to tell you a little bit more about what happened last week. As you know, Artisan's... um, annual meeting was last Sunday night. And of course, we had all of our usual business that we do at our annual meetings. Um, We attended to uh, reports on the previous ministry year. We had an annual budget that was approved. We had some leadership team members and nominating committee members elected to second terms. It was all very normal artisan business meeting stuff. And... (laughs) We also had two very important measures that were on uh, the agenda, Um, measures that I think probably made this year's annual meeting the most significant one we've had in at least a decade, and maybe even ever. And those two measures were an affirmation of the uh, leadership team's recommendation to begin the process of disaffiliation with the Evangelical Covenant Church and an update to our LGBTQ inclusion statement that would remove denominational language as well as uh, the limitations that our denomination placed on us uh, as far as hosting or officiating same-gender weddings. So we had these two huge votes uh, in addition to all the other business, and I'm really happy to report that both of these proposals passed unanimously. So, happy pride. (laughs) Um, I am so glad to know that we're moving forward together as a church in what we perceive to be the call of the Holy Spirit for our community, and um, really overjoyed that we had um, such um, unanimous uh, approval of that direction. Now, um, even in the midst of, of that joy... I do want to recognize that it also brings with it some uncertainty and lots of questions and maybe even some fear. Uh, so let me take a, just a couple of minutes to offer some uh, pastoral reassurances about all of that. Um, first and foremost, um, we are still us. 
although we are moving on from this connection um, that has been really important to us uh, through the ups and downs, through our whole ministry history, um, let's remember one thing, which is that that denominational connection was never the thing that gave us our primary sense of identity as a church. And this comes up all the time when people find out I'm a pastor. First of all, I try not to tell strangers that because it makes them act weird. <laughs> but when they do, they then follow up with, with certain questions that I, I, I have sort of an elevator pitch about. And one of them is always like, is, so is that non-denominational or is it a denomination or what are you, Catholic or whatever? And, and um, I tell them, yes, we have a denomination, but it's not the thing that makes us who we are. Right? Our mission is the same today as it was 17 years ago almost. Our foundational values are not changing. That's the first thing. We are still us. Secondly, um, we actually have plenty of goodwill built up with our soon-to-be former denomination. Um, No one is under any illusions uh, about the depth of disagreement that we've had on some very important matters. There's a lot of pain that has come with that uh, disagreement in various ways, some of which has been felt much more deeply to certain members of our community than others. But on a logistical level, it is helpful to know, perhaps, and maybe reassuring for you to know, that they are not bitter toward us. We expect this separation to be healthy and amicable, um, although the bureaucracy of it does mean that it's going to take a while, like at least a full year, um, longer than we might like for that to take um, to, to take place, but there's not much we can do about the bureaucracy side of it. Um, lastly, we are not alone. We have other congregations here in Rochester that are with us and continue to be a support to us and continue to be, you know, chosen family for us as a, as a church. There are other covenant churches, other ECC churches across the country who are in the same spot that we are, or maybe a few months ahead of where we are, or maybe a few months behind where we are. But we're not alone, even within our denomination as a church that's leaving. We're still connected. And I'll reiterate one last time. Maybe not, maybe it's not, probably not going to be the last time, but... One more time. <laughs> um, that uh, as your pastor, I, I didn't realize how important this was for some of you. And that's in part because of just kind of missing stuff, but it's also because I didn't listen as well as I should have at certain times. And um, I want to acknowledge that and ask for your forgiveness about that and commit as much as it's within my power to do a better job of that going forward because this is probably not the last time that something is going to come up that um, I'll I'll have occasion to hear the pain that you might experience and um, need to do better than I did uh, about that. That's one of the reasons that this took uh, as long as it did. I want to read for you one last time the reassurance that the Apostle Paul received in a dream when he finally came to terms with the fact that he had to give up on um, ministering within the family of religious tradition that he had been raised in in order to go to reach those on the margins. 
the word that he received from the Spirit in this dream is a word that I, that I spoke over you. <laughs> um, that sounds very highfalutin, but I want to do it. I want to speak it over you again. Do not be afraid. But speak and do not be silent. For I am with you. God is with you. God is with us. And no one will lay a hand on you to harm you. For there are many in this city, there are many in this state, there are many in this country, there are many around the world who are my people. Hi. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the report from last Sunday. (laughs) And some extra. (laughs) The story of Jesus calming the storm uh, while on a boat with his disciples is very famous for its uh, declarative nature, for the fact that he he speaks over the waves and the weather. Peace, be still. It's very direct and powerful. You may even have seen some kitschy religious artwork about this moment. Has anybody seen the the picture that I have in my mind? (laughs) It's like Jesus on, and it's always like he's on this little tiny skiff. Like, I don't think they've read the whole story. There's no space for a sleeping cushion in the front of that boat. But anyway, in this picture, he's standing on the bow of the boat and kind of going like this, right, in in this beam of light or something is how he calms the waves. Um, I don't know if I like that image, but I'm, I'm wondering maybe that some of you have seen that same thing. I think it might have been in my grandparents' house or something. <laughs> At any rate, uh, what it drives home is the uh, very declarative and direct nature of that moment of Jesus saying, peace, be still. And I think that's what probably rises to the top for most people when they read this story is the power of Jesus to do this great thing. But as I looked at the story again this week, I noticed that there are actually a lot of questions in this passage. In fact, there's four different questions in just six verses in Mark chapter 4, 35 through 41, was it, I think? And I think these questions might hold a lot of meaning for us. Let me make the case for those who haven't heard it. For the idea that questions, good questions anyway, are usually better than answers. Even in church, questions are better than answers. As a preacher, as a speaker, as a pastor, as a teacher... I try very hard, often failing, I'm sure, to speak and teach and lead and preach in a way that inspires your curiosity and raises for you profound and provocative questions much more often than it gives you some great answer. That's not, at least I hope, because I'm some wishy-washy person, right? <laughs> ask anybody who knows me. I've got opinions. <laughs> or just ask me about literally anything, and I will make one on the spot and tell you what it is. <laughs> um, but I think, in the spiritual life, the work of coming to a better question is usually, if not always, 
more fruitful, more productive than getting some really neat answer. And to the extent that an answer is helpful, I usually think it's because it just raises the next question. Okay, got that figured out. Oh, but now, have you ever had one of those moments in the spiritual life where you think, just about the time you've figured something out and arrived, you go, oh, actually what I've arrived at is the realization that I was even more clueless than I thought. (laughs) So never be afraid of questions. Never be afraid to ask questions a question of me. And if any of you ever catch me shutting down a question or acting in a way that doesn't honor space or hold space for the question, please remind me of this moment and the fact that I told you you're supposed to call me when I do that and say, hey, dummy, (laughs) you're not living up to what you said you would be. And here in this passage... There are four questions. Two of them are asked by the disciples, and two of them are asked by Jesus, which, by the way, is one of the reasons we know that questions are valid within the Christian faith. Jesus asks them a lot. Two questions by the disciples, two questions by Jesus. Now, here's how this is going to work. I'm going to give you some questions about the questions. And then I'm going to read what the questions are from the passage. And then I'm going to ask you um, to tell me what your questions were about the questions. (laughs) Any questions? (laughs) So, once again, I'm going to read for you the four questions that I see in the passage. But before I do, I want you to be thinking about some follow-up questions that I'm going to give you now. When I read those questions for you, please answer this. Which of these questions are you actually asking right now? Either of God or of yourself. And which of these questions gives you the most negative feeling? Because let's be honest, even in a space where questions are safe, they don't always feel very good. And when we get asked a question by God... Sometimes it's not always comfortable, right? So which question gives you negative feelings and why do you think that is? And then I'm also going to ask you, which question do you feel ready to answer right now, today? And what would your answer be? So here are the four questions. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And who then is this? Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Maybe they're speaking to him as a friend. We're all in this boat together and you're asleep. Don't you care that you're about to die? Or maybe they're asking him, Um, as a miracle worker, or as we would think uh, about it, with the benefit of lots of hindsight and some theological training, as God in the flesh. Why are you afraid? This is a question Jesus asks them, which might have been a question that they found quite annoying. (laughs) 
Oh, why am I afraid? <laughs> uh, have, you, have you checked the weather lately, <laughs> Jesus? Why wouldn't we be afraid? <laughs> but maybe that's a question that would be profound for you in your life right now. In your life today, with what's going on, non-rhetorically, why are you afraid and what are you afraid of? That's a pretty heavy but important question that you might process for yourself and gain some self-knowledge. Third question, Jesus' second question, have you still no faith? A question that must have felt like a rebuke. And if it, again, if it was a rhetorical question, do you have any faith? then maybe it was a rebuke, and maybe they needed to hear the rebuke. But what if the question wasn't rhetorical? And sometimes the tone is hard enough in the written word, but when you layer it through some translations and a couple thousand years of of linguistic history, it's a little bit hard to know the tone of what Jesus was saying. Maybe it wasn't a rhetorical question at all. Maybe that's a question that you ought to be answering yourself right now. Do you have any faith? And maybe for those of you who've been kind of playing at the edges of it, still, do you have no faith? And then, you know, pastors aren't supposed to have favorite questions, but this one is mine. (laughs) Who then is this? Right? And I'm I'm going to get the exact wording at the end of that question. That even the wind and the sea obey him. Even after all they'd seen, and you could go back, it's only a few chapters into Mark, but they had seen plenty from Jesus already. Numerous people healed of afflictions and disease. Um, Profound teachings that had started to reorient the way they thought about the world and about God. And even after all of that, they were still taken aback for some reason in that boat. Who even is this? Maybe it was because the miracle this time hit closer to home. Right? You might be impressed if someone else receives a miracle, but when you receive it yourself, you kind of go, whoa, what's going on here? Perhaps it was because it affected the elements, not a person. Right? Maybe that's a bigger category of miracle. But for whatever reason, these people who had been close to Jesus for a good long time still found themselves unsettled about who he was. And maybe you have been close to Jesus in your own way for a good long time and still find yourself asking the question, who is this? So, I'm going to ask some of you to be brave here, um, because during this summer series, I am trying to uh, foster an experience, um, to curate an experience, if you will, where we all kind of think about the text together, and we're going to do that on Zoom and in the room, and um, I'm going to ask you the questions about the questions, and you you can choose if you want to share to answer any of the questions about the questions and to give as much or as little detail as you want 
And of course, it's always an option just to sort of stay where you are and, and keep quiet and keep your fingers off the keyboard and just observe and, and uh, take it in. But here's the questions. Which of these questions are you asking of God or of yourself right now? Which of these four questions? Which of these questions gives you the most negative feelings and why do you think that is? And which question are you ready to answer right now? And maybe even share what your, question, what your answer might be to that question. All right? So those are the questions about the questions. And the questions themselves, one more time, are, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And who then is this? Right. So... This is maybe a little bit more intimate than some of the sharing that we've done recently, but if you want to give an answer in the room, I will do my best to repeat it back so that the folks on Zoom can hear it. And if you want to give an answer on Zoom, go ahead and type it into the chat, and I'll read it out um, to, the, uh, to the congregation. And if you have an answer that you want to give confidentially, I'm sorry there's no way to do that in the room, <laughs> but on Zoom you could send me a direct message and I, I would still see it, and I would not use your name in that case, right? Sometimes, usually I read the name out when I... Which of these questions are you asking right now? Which, yeah, go ahead. Thank you so much. And I'm so sorry. You told me your name like 20 minutes ago. and I, Samantha. Samantha, thank you. <laughs> Samantha, your response to that was so lovely and beautiful. And there's no way I'm going to be able to repeat it well for the people in Zoom. So I'm apologizing to the people in Zoom. And from here on out, I'm going to ask people who answer in the room <laughs> to use a microphone. <laughs> no, it's not your fault at all. It's, this, is, this is my fault. I should have remembered that that is likely to be the case. Thank you for your very um, beautiful answer and for be willing to, being willing to share it. Um, if I walk out too far with this on, it's going to squeal. So can you give this to the next person who's ready to answer in the room, Carrie? Thank you. I think it's Dan Proctor right there. I have an answer. Amen. <laughs> he gave an amen to Samantha's answer. <laughs> I love it. Okay, Cameron's ready for the mic. Um. Thank you, Mr. Proctor. Uh, uh, the question that striked me the most was, um, like, what do you fear? Is that mm. what it was? Yes. Yeah. yeah, why are you afraid? Yeah, why are you afraid? 
And I, I find myself sometimes just like dreading life. I don't know. The future. Um, I have my, you know, my mind is dwelling on the future and where I'm going, and I, I feel a sense of uncertainty sometimes. Um, but, but really, I feel like the answer is like so simple. And it's just like, you know, don't worry, be happy, laugh, <laughs> laugh at it all. I, I really believe that like this entire existence is like a, 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 a play, you know, it's kind of a, I don't know. I'm going to give the mic to somebody else now. <laughs> <laughs> Cameron, thank you for sharing about that. And right behind you, actually. But it's, it's definitely a, a brave thing to share about your personal fears. So thank you. Go ahead, Susan. Um, I think the question I'm most uncomfortable with is the, do you still have so little faith? Because I feel like that one gets put out a lot. Mm. I think the hard thing for me is figuring out if it's really coming from God or if it's just coming from other people. But I'm Ooh. definitely ready to answer, don't you care about us? And that answer is yes. I've got that much figured out. God mm. cares. <laughs> wow, thanks for sharing that. Yes, and... Um, so often th those questions are weaponized by other people, isn't it? Go ahead. Yeah, Dylan. Basically what she said. Okay. <laughs> Basically what she said. Yeah. I love it. But because there's some times in my life where I say, is this the right decision? Do I have faith in this decision? Sometimes my answer is no because I feel like it's just not right. Yeah. I have to ask myself, is it the right thing to do? And do I need to do it? Yeah. Hmm. Wow, thank you. Thanks, Dylan. Elliot's next. <coughs> Don't forget to type into the Zoom chat if you have a question that you'd like to. I'm sitting in that weird spot again, so I'm going to just move over here for a minute so it doesn't screech. Um, <laughs> I, I'm thankful I'm not asking this question right now, but um, it brought up some negative feelings of asking it in the past of the don't you care about us yeah. um, in moments of tragedy and in moments of feeling persecuted or alone and, mm. uh, or maybe not alone, but in a group uh, where we're being attacked and, and whatnot. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Do you not care that we are perishing is a question that carries with it a lot of pain. Yeah. Am I about the don't you care? Um, mm. well, how did you word it? Um, the, the, the way the disciples worded it was, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we are perishing? I've been thinking about that in terms of society hmm. um, hmm. and the church. And it really, like, the church, not this church, the church at Verhaad. <laughs> talks a lot about caring about people and the actions don't match yeah. and um, it's just I'm having in my personal life with my family and friends that I grew up with like in the past four years <laughs> I'm really struggling with the church at large don't you care about us yeah you know 
that's where. Wow, thank you. Thanks for sharing that. And, and if I could just give a real quick response to the not this church, but that church thing. I'm both grateful to you for saying that and for the fact that that is apparently how it comes across, but it's impossible to separate this church from the church. And so that pain is always going to be present to a certain extent, even within the safest walls you have found. And so let's do our best to acknowledge that, you know, um, and um, counteract it when we can. I just want to go off of that actually about this church. So we're relatively new to this church. That was definitely a feeling that I was struggling with for quite some time in other churches where part of it was good and and part of the community and there were always good people, but the bigger questions and the bigger issues and not quite feeling like it matched up with my own beliefs and, and what I truly in my heart felt God stands for and wants for everybody and then coming to this church and especially at this season of this church Mm. has just been amazing and is answering that question in so many ways at this time yeah wow thank you you know i've i've thought often about people who recently started attending and how they were going to experience the, the last month or so of church life and um it's mostly been really, really positive, actually. So thank you for sharing that, Rachel. And I, I, this is not meant to be a prophetic word or anything, but it occurs to me that our, our leadership team member and church chairperson, Dr. Kristen Brown, who presided over the meeting on Sunday, uh, has told me that her first Sunday here was the Sunday that we you know, ratified our first version of our LGBTQ inclusion statement. So she stuck around, and it worked out pretty well. So... <laughs> um, I'm not saying you're going to have to preside over a meeting in three years, but <laughs> yeah, you might. I'm not saying you're not. I'm just <laughs> um, okay, so we have time for one or two more. What was the line about um, having, having no faith? Yeah, have you still no faith? That's in the NRSV version. So what, when I find that I'm in an extremely stressful situation, I question my faith and... It takes me a long time to do all those things that I know will help me work through my faith Mm. and talk to God and not be mad at church, Mm. you know, not be mad at God for not fixing it, you know, Um, and doing the things that I can do to fix it. Yeah. Thank you, Alicia. So I think Doug has been wanting uh, to share for a couple minutes. So you just pass it over. You don't have to carry it over if you don't want. And then we'll, um, I think we're going to give Doug the last question today. No pressure there. No. Well, it's a question, presumably, so it's okay. I think the question I'm ready to answer and have been ready to answer for some time is, what are you so afraid of? Um, Because I'm such an analytical person, I need to have answers. Hmm. And for, for much of my um, shifting of my faith and, and my beliefs, the question that always came up is, what if I'm wrong? Yeah. And so that was what I was afraid of, what if I'm wrong? Um, and so that continues to be a question I ask, but I'm less fearful of the question now than mm. I used to be. So um, I don't feel like being wrong is the end of the world anymore. Wow. Thank you. That's a great way to end our time together. <laughs> For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.